Amen. All right, so we are going to look at the Christmas story a little bit today. Uh, we, we started this last week looking a little bit. We had a great time last Sunday. If you were not here, you missed our Cute Kids Sunday where they did a great uh, version of the Charlie Brown Christmas musical. They did such a good job. Um, but we're going to take a couple sermons to this time of year where we're going to look at the Christmas story. So if you have a Bible, you probably know where the Christmas story is found. But we're going to be in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. We're going to start in Luke chapter 1. And we're going to look at this Christmas story found in the Gospel of Luke. Look at each of the characters and perhaps maybe there's a lesson in each of the characters that we can apply to our lives today. This is a great story. Perhaps this is maybe the most well-known, well-told story of any story, really. Maybe Cinderella's up there or something like that. But the Christmas story gets told around the world every year, millions and millions of times. It's a well-known story. And we love great stories. My wife and I had an opportunity this last week. It is our, it's, we have a big anniversary coming up this week on Tuesday. It's our 20th anniversary. So we, we decided to celebrate. Thank you for that. Yes. We're working on it, Minnesota. We're working on the, do I clap? I don't know. I'm nervous. What if I'm the only one clapping? Um, we went to New York City. My wife has never been. My wife is a little bit, um, this is going to sound, it could sound bad, but she's, dramatic in the good way. She's theatrical. She has a theater background. She's artsy. She's expressive. But she's never been to New York City to see a show on Broadway. And so we thought, well, this would be a great opportunity. So we went to New York City for a couple of days. And a lot of people probably line up like the, the 10 tourist destinations that they need to go see. And we saw a couple of those. But we decided to line up a bunch of shows. And so we went to five shows on Broadway in three days. Um, we, 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 worked. We walked a lot amongst, and we were right in Times Square. It's great this time of year. Um, and we went around to all the theaters and took advantage of their, you know, last minute day of discount tickets and found whatever seats were available. But we saw some great stories. I love a good story. Um, the sights and the sounds of a musical, and I love each character, and, and we were even talking about this. What was your favorite thing? What was your highlight? What musical was your favorite? And there were certain characters in each musical and each story. You can always tell the story starts out, and there's always like the main character everyone's looking forward to seeing for the first time. So we went to see Miss Saigon, and right away, about the first song, you can tell, oh, this one young lady started singing. She's really good, you know, and we know she's the main character. We went to see Wicked on Thursday night, and so you're waiting to see Glinda and Elphaba the first time. You're like, these are the main characters. But I love seeing other characters in these stories. We were surprised in one, in one musical we went to. It was called Waitress, and there was one character that made an appearance about halfway through, and it was the funniest scene. I laughed harder in that scene, really, than I had in, in anything in a long time. His character was really the comic relief character. He was a great character. Uh, we had a great time. We love a good story. I think... I don't know what the numbers are, but billions of dollars every year spent on theater and musicals. People want to go see a good story. Never mind movies. We love going to see movies, especially this time of year with Star Wars. I've already been to see Star Wars. Um, we love a good story. We will put money into hearing a good story. We love the characters. But this Christmas story, we have a lot of different characters. It's a great story. Some of the characters are the main characters, and we know about them. Some of them... We see as more of the side characters. You think of a nativity scene, and you're like, well, at the center is the baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph, and then as you go out from there, you've got the shepherds and the angels and the animals and all those things. But I want to look at a few of these characters today in the Christmas story. Each one has a significant reason for being included in this. 
And uh, each one has a lesson for us today. So in Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin, and we're going to begin talking about Mary. This is, Mary is kind of the pre-story leading up to the actual birth, the nativity scene, when an angel appears to Mary. Mary is just a regular girl. In this, time, in this time of history and in this culture, there was nothing that stood out. Women were not highly regarded and valued in this society. This was just a young girl, ordinary girl, and an angel appears to her. And she, Mary's an unlikely character. There's nothing about her that would say, oh, God would look and say, here's, here's the most famous star in all the land. This is the person we're going to use to be the mother of the Messiah. No, this is a regular, ordinary girl, and an angel appears to her and says, you're going to give birth to the Son of God, the Messiah. And obviously, she has some questions about that. She said, well, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Uh, how can I be pregnant? This is going to complicate things. And an angel appears, and this is what happens in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 35. And the angel answered to Mary. I think these words will be up on the screen. And there they are. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And this is Mary's reply. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled, and then the angel left her. There's two things, as we first talk about Mary, that stand out in that passage of Scripture. And the first, and we know this, there's been songs in famous musicals written about Mary's response. But her response to the angel, of course, she first had some initial questions, how can this be? But her response was, and you've heard it in other translations, be it unto me according to your will. Her response was, thy will be done. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. Mary is saying, if this is what God wants, thy will be done. I am open to be used by God. There's something powerful, and here's one lesson today. There's something so powerful when somebody, anybody, simply opens their life up to God. Simply says, God, thy will be done. Throughout Scripture, we read Old Testament, New Testament, all the great heroes of the faith, all the great characters in this amazing story. They, none of them were like the highly regarded. God makes a habit of taking those who were overlooked, those who were set aside or cast aside. You know, think of it, Abraham or David. David was the youngest brother. When they were looking for a king, they didn't even think to bring out David because they're like, well, clearly he's not going to be the king. Moses, Daniel, Esther, Ruth, all simple individuals who simply just opened their lives up to God and said, God, thy will be done. And God used them in amazing ways. God used them in miraculous ways to change nations, to change cultures, to change history. So that's one thing. Maybe that's the lesson you need to learn today is that what would your life look like if you simply opened it up to God and said, God, whatever you want, whatever you want, however you want to use me this year to impact my family, to impact my community, however you want to use me in my life to get rid of the things that you don't want to have in my life anymore. What could your life look like if this year you simply said, God, thy will be done. Whatever you want, thy will be done. I am your servant. And the second thing from that passage of the angel talking to Mary. I love those words where the angel said, even Mary's got doubts, and the angel says, even Elizabeth, who they said could not have kids, is in her sixth month of pregnancy. 
And then what does the word say after that? What does the word say? Because nothing is impossible with God. It actually says this in this translation, for no word from God will ever fail. In other translations of Scripture, it says this is happening so that you will learn that nothing is impossible with God. Amen? Nothing is impossible with God. It may not seem possible to you, Mary. Maybe there's something that God has put on your heart. Maybe there's something that you're dealing with in your life, and you're thinking, it's, it's never going to happen. It's impossible. Things don't work out that way. And again, the Christmas story is here once again to remind you, no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. Nothing that God has promised will ever fail. There is nothing impossible for our God. And that's what we learn from this miraculous conception. The story of Christmas is there is nothing too difficult for our God. You're young, you're old, whatever stage of life you're in, whatever you're facing, nothing is too difficult for our God. I wonder, in addition to if you said with your life, I'm going to be open to God using me however he wants, what if in addition to that we had that strong faith that says, not only am I open to God using me, I know it's going to be miraculous. I know that there is nothing too difficult for God. I know there's not a situation that he can't turn around with his mighty hand. This is the God for whom nothing is impossible. What a great way to spend this Christmas season as we look ahead to the new year to say, what if, well, how could my life be different if I simply took on that approach to our awesome, all-powerful, miraculous God? So that's Mary. That's a couple of the lessons we learn from Mary. She's kind of a main character in this story. Well, if we look ahead one chapter, when we get to the more traditional Christmas story that we read, a lot of you, maybe you grew up in a home where your dad or grandpa would gather everybody around and it was torture on Christmas morning because you as a kid just wanted to open presents and grandpa had to read the Christmas story and he took forever and probably read the King James translation with words you couldn't understand. But that's Luke chapter 2. And uh, we're going to read some verses from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Now, the next character in the story we, we're introduced to in Luke 2, verse 8, and they're the shepherds. These are the shepherds. The angel appears to the shepherds. And so I'm going to read um, Luke 2, verse 8 says this. This will be up on the screen. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... A great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. What a great moment. These lowly shepherds in the middle of another insignificant night just looking after their flock of sheep as they had done every night. And all of a sudden, an angel appears. Now, these shepherds, and you maybe have heard this before, shepherds, again, they were not important people. These, again, were not high society types. The shepherds were not getting invited to all the parties and all with all the influential people, okay? Not only were they considered kind of low 
low rung on society's ladder. Religiously, they were actually considered outcasts. Because of their line of work, the shepherds were responsible for tending the sheep. A lot of the lambs that would be offered as sacrifices in the temple, these shepherds, these shepherds were probably the ones responsible for raising those. So because they were handling animals, because they were living outside the city, because of all these things, religiously they were unclean. They were ceremonially unclean. And because they had to do this every day, they were never at a point where religiously, by the rules, they were okay with God, so to speak. They were never allowed to be in the temple because they were unclean, spiritually and probably physically and smell-wise too a little bit, right? They were not allowed in the temple. So here these shepherds are raising the lambs that would be used to offer sacrifices to God in the temple, but they were never allowed to go in they literally would have felt that they were far away from God, never allowed to approach the presence of God. Outcast by society and outcast, as they would have thought, by God because they were not allowed to go near God. This lesson for us, the lesson of the shepherds is this, and this is the best part of the Christmas story, is that God's Son was sent for all people. For all people. I love those words the angel said. This is good news that will be for great joy for all people. All people. This is not for the religious. This is not for the rule followers. This isn't for the people who are in the temple right now. In fact, the angel sent from God appears first to the shepherds who are outside the city, who are the ones that everybody would say, that's the last group of people God would send a messenger to. But here the angel is telling these shepherds, and they're the first to hear that the Messiah has been born. They're the first to hear the good news. This is not a story of God coming for the religious people. This is a good news of great joy for all people. If you are here today and you feel far from God, then you know this story's for you. This story's for you. You're the first that God came to to say, hey, this good news is for you. This good news is for you. I love that. This is good news for all of us. But there's another lesson with the angels and the shepherds hidden in there a little bit. And I heard a sermon a couple weeks ago on a podcast that talked about this. I thought it was such a great insight. The angels appear to the, to the shepherds, and they say two things. They say, first, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. And the second thing they say is, and peace on those with whom God's favor rests, or peace to all men on earth. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to all men, or to those on whom God's favor rests. That's us, right? Those with whom God's favor rests. If you are a believer, if you've put your faith in God, you are considered God's children, and that's us. We get peace. We get this peace with God, this relationship with God. But the order of the statements of the angels, I think, is crucial for us. And I want us to think about that for a little bit. Think about those two things that the angels said. Glory to God in the highest and peace for everyone on earth, too. I'll translate it a little bit. The order of those statements is crucial because as the angels are there speaking to the lowly shepherds, these heavenly beings, they're reminding us and they're reminding the shepherds and they're reminding all the people and saying this, Let's remember the order of the things that we said. Let's not forget the first thing we said. First and foremost, it's not about you, shepherds. 
It's not even about us, the angels. You're lowly shepherds. We're angels, heavenly beings. But we all bow down to God. It is about God's glory. First and foremost, it's not about the peace that you get from God. It's not about anything we receive from God. This is a lesson for us this Christmas season. First and foremost, it is about a life that glorifies God. Glory to God in the highest. I want my life, first and foremost, yeah, there's a lot of things that God's going to do for me. There's times when I pray and God moves and, and, and being a follower of his is miraculous and amazing. But first and foremost, it's not about what I get from God. It is about my life being glory to you. That's it, God. No matter what you do for me, I want my life to bring you glory. Glory to God in the highest. He is holy. He is worthy. This is the God that came, you know, we, we talked a, a month or so ago about the universe when we were talking about believers and skeptics, how big it is, how it's expanding. And I could go and, and bore you with, you know, some stats about how big the universe is. This is a God who didn't, you know, he's not in a planet on the other side of the moon. This is a God that exists outside the universe in the heavenly realm. And he sent angels into, you know, through galaxies and solar systems into this little planet Earth to find those shepherds. This is a big God we're talking about. He is holy, and he is worthy, and the angels declare very first, it's about glory to God. It's about glory to God. Then, after that, yes, he's going to do a lot of great things for you. He's going to change your life. He's going to do amazing things. But first and foremost, I wonder what our life would look like if every day... We approached our relationship with God with not, God, what have you done for me? What have you done for me lately? All these things are going on. When are you going to fix this? When are you going to do this? If first and foremost we said, you know what? Everything in my life, Lord, I'm going to have it bring glory to you. It's going to be about shining your glory. When I talk to other people, it's going to be about how amazing God is. Glory to God in the highest. That's the thing we do first. And then second, sure, we get blessings from God. He gives us peace. He gives us joy. He grants us so many heavenly blessings. We get included, you know, talking about these uh, musicals we went to in New York City, I would always notice there's some cast members that were, they were the minor roles. They're like the bottom of the cast list. They're the extras. They're the chorus. They're there to fill, you know, to be the choir in the musical numbers. And then if somebody breaks a leg, literally, then they step in and, and take over one of those roles. But, but think about this. Think of God's story, the history of humanity, God's story that he has given to us in his word in the Bible. He writes us in. He writes us in this good news that he said is going to be for all people. That got passed down from generation to generation to generation. And so God is saying the same thing to us today. It's light into darkness, and I want to use you to spread this light. God writes us into his story. This is, an, this is awesome. This is awesome. We're part of the story. We might be down the cast list a little bit if God is like the lead, and then we're down there. But we're an extra, but we're in God's story. He invites us into his story. That's awesome. We get to participate in that. But first and foremost, we say glory to you, God, it is about your glory. And in fact, if we're looking at a way to find peace in our life, peace to all on whom God's favor rests, if, we, if we're saying, boy, I would love to have some more peace in my life this year, well, the best way to do that is to have a life that is not so focused on what you're getting, but what is giving glory to God. And just say, God, I'm going to first and foremost give glory to you. So in this story, so far, we have Mary... We have the angels, and we have the shepherds so far. So who are we missing so far? Anybody we're missing? Who are we missing, Liam? 
Who else is in this story? Yes, but anyone else? We got Joseph too, right? We're going to talk about the wise men. I didn't really, t- that's a good one. You got it, Liam. You did good. Um, Joseph, I'm not really going to talk about because he's a, he's a main character. He's like right there in the center of the nativity scene. But if you are a dad and you've been in the room when your wife was giving birth, you know that you're the least important person there, right? I remember when Lucy was born, our oldest, I was in the room, and I was simply just trying to not be the guy that any nurse or any doctor had to say, could you just be quiet? Could you just go sit over there? I, was, I didn't want to pass out, and I just wanted to do what I was told. In fact, they were, you know, I was, be, I was you know, being very good, I think. Maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but they, one of the nurses said, hey, could you come over here and help with this? And I remember thinking, I, I'm not quiet. I'm not qualified for this. I'm, I'm supposed to just stand here and be quiet. But, you know, I wanted to be the guy that was just quiet. So, Joseph, we're gonna, just going to say, we're going to leave him out for today. He's like the dad in the delivery room. I imagine what happened in this journey to Bethlehem. I imagine Mary and Joseph having this conversation beforehand, before they got on the donkey and made the long journey to Bethlehem. I imagine Joseph saying, it's going to be pretty crowded. And I bet Mary said these words. I just... Don't want, I don't care where we stay, I just don't want to stay in a barn. Okay, so that's what I imagine. So by the, husbands, you've been there, right? Husbands, we think, oh, we'll be fine, we'll just sleep in the car, we'll be great. I just don't want to sleep in a barn, and so I imagine in my cartoon bubble, there's a little bit of this, this is the one thing, you had one job, Joseph. You had one job, find a place to stay. So we're going to leave Joseph alone for today. But we mentioned the wise men, the magi. These wise men, this part of the story is a little bit murky, a little bit, because they're not in Luke's account of the gospel, right? They're not in that, that gospel. We, we studied the book of Luke a couple months ago, and we talked about this, that Luke's whole mission in writing this document was to research all the details, to research all the dates and the names and the places. He starts out his gospel with, I researched and talked to all the eyewitnesses, and I wanted to give an account for everything that has been taught. But yet, we get to the wise men, the magi, and they're not in here. And so we have the nativity scene, and in the nativity scene, this is the, the, the Methodist church nativity scene, they, they put all the characters out in order. So right now the animals are the only ones out. I think the other characters are underneath waiting to appear. But if you have a typical nativity scene, you know, when we, one of the shows we saw in New York City was the Christmas Spectacular with the Rockettes. Now this was not high on my list, but Christy said, we have to experience the Christmas Spectacular at Radio City Music Hall. We found some Last minute, is that what it's called? The Christmas Spectacular? It was spectacular. Um, But they have the big, I mean, it really was well done. They have the big nativity moment at the end of this. It's a little bit like Branson, but it's really well done. It's New York and Branson combined, so it's perfect for Christmas. But they have the nativity moment where they've got the angels, the stars in the sky. I mean, the sound and lights are fantastic. And then they show the wise men, the magi coming, and sure enough, then there's a live camel walking across the stage. I mean, they go all out. But we think of these wise men being at the, at the manger that night. Well, they wouldn't have been at the manger that night. Um, they would not have been there. This was, their account is found in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 2. So if you wanted to flip there, you could. Matthew chapter 2, this is the, this is the passage of scripture where we hear about the wise men, the magi. Um, there's no evidence that they were kings, uh, except for the prophecies in the, in the Old Testament. Isaiah prophesies that there would be kings that would come and bow down to worship him. So 
Um, that's probably where we get the We Three Kings of Orientar talking about the wise men. Um, there's, no, there's no talk of them being actual kings, but they were influential people. The word magi actually is this, comes from the same word we get in magic. And so a lot of people think that they were influential in their, in their nations. Now, these are not God-worshipping nations. These would be, they would be worshipping foreign gods. But in their nations, they would have been influential, perhaps even astrologers, because they would study the stars. And what happened was they noticed in the stars that there was a star in the sky that was signifying something significant happened in Jerusalem. So this was probably a little bit of them studying the stars, seeing something different, and probably God just speaking to their hearts and saying, the king of the Jews has been born. But they don't really know the significance of it. They just see this star in the sky. Now, it talks about how they came to visit Jesus sometime later, and they came to the home where Jesus was. So this could have been anywhere up to two years even after the birth of Jesus. So we take a little creative liberty when we have our traditional nativity set. I don't want to cause any conflict or anything like that. We're all good with the nativity scene. But these magi, they would have come... Um, some time after, and really what we know about them is they were influential people from a foreign land who had seen a star and they came to worship the new king in Judea. And so I'm going to read those verses in Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 4. It says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard about this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chiefs, priests, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they replied, in Bethlehem, in Judea, is what they replied. So these guys come. They don't know the significance. They just know something important has happened. So they make the long journey to Jerusalem, and they say, we know the king of the Jews has been born. We want to go see him. Herod, who is the now current king of Israel, he is disturbed. And it's understandable why he would be disturbed, because any king, their number one priority is to remove all threats of any potential king. So they want to stay on the throne. Now, it, I, was, I was puzzled why it also says, Herod was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. The people who were with him were also troubled by this news that there had been a king of the Jews born. And I was interested in that. Why would they be worried? Why would they be disturbed or upset by this news? You would think after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of waiting for the Messiah to come, any news that the king had been born, they would have rejoiced. So possibly they were happy on the inside, but they knew their audience. They knew they were with Herod. So they're like, oh, that's terrible news, Herod. And inside they're like, yay, we can finally have a king um, who will be a righteous king who will deliver us. Or perhaps they felt like their comfortable way of life, what they knew about their way of life was going to be threatened. Perhaps they just simply thought, I don't want this king to come. Perhaps they thought Herod is going to stage an all-out war. Maybe that's why they were disturbed. But maybe they just thought, you know what? We're kind of comfortable with our life, and this new king is probably just going to mess everything up. Maybe that's why they felt conflicted or disturbed. Or for whatever reason, Herod and the people he was with did not like this news, but the Magi, they went and they wanted to worship the king of the Jews. So a few things about these wise men, about the Magi. 
They'd seen the star. They came to worship. They didn't know the spiritual significance. They probably, rec- well, they did actually later on recognize that Herod was up to no good because Herod, if you know the story, says, hey, wise men, wise guys, when you find the baby, come back and tell me so I can go worship him too. And Herod obviously wants to kill the baby because he does, wants to get rid of any threats. Um, but the Magi find where Jesus was, and they fell down to worship him, giving him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And the first lesson, again, from the Magi is this. Same thing we saw with Mary, same thing we saw with the shepherds. We see that Jesus, again, is the Savior for all people. So not only Mary, an insignificant girl growing up at this time, not only the shepherds, the lowest of the low, religiously outcast, but now people who weren't even a part of the nation of Israel, who weren't even a part of Judea, who were not God, the God of Abraham, worshipers, now God is inviting them into the story. God is drawing them in and saying, this salvation is not just for the religious elite, not just for the Jews, not just for the people in Judea, but for people all over the world. That lesson, that again, is that Jesus is the Savior of all people. This is good news. Again, the love of God reaches high and low. It reaches far and wide. It is for all people. But I wanted to talk a little bit in the few minutes we have left about the gifts that they brought. They brought gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. We like gold. We still have gold today. We would love to have some more gold, but we not a lot of frankincense and myrrh going around. But gold was a precious metal. We understand that. Gold was a gift that was fit for a king. So these wise men came with gifts of gold and laid them at the feet of Jesus, and they said, we know that you are one day going to be the king of the Jews, that you are the son of God. So they bring gifts of gold. Frankincense is incense. It is burned in religious ceremonies. The fact that they brought this incense, this frankincense as a gift to Jesus, signifies that they recognize that he is their high priest, or in fact that he is God. This is a religiously significant gift. And the final one is myrrh, M-Y-R-R-H. And that's an oil. It's an oil extract from very rare, valuable plants. It's essential oils. It's where essential oils got started, okay? And if you've ever bought a bunch of essential oils, you know those things are pricey. These things are valuable, right? So they bring this expensive oil. This oil is used as a healing oil, a healing balm for those who are sick. But there's also another significance here. This oil is also used to prepare people for burial after somebody has, been, has died or been killed. They would use this oil, myrrh, to prepare them for burial. So the fact that the wise men bring, they're bringing gifts of gold. We recognize that you are a king. They're bringing gifts of frankincense because we recognize that you are God. And they're bringing gifts of myrrh because they're saying you are a God who is going to heal the wounded and you are the God who is going to give his life for his people. That's what that gift signifies, the gift of myrrh. It is a healing oil and it is something that prepares people for burial. They're saying, we know that you're going to give your life. This, this gift that they give signifies that signifies that Jesus is God, that he is king, that he is healer, and that he is our sacrifice. That's what the significance is of those gifts. So I would love for us to kind of remember those things every time we read that part of the Christmas story. Yes, he is God. 
He is king, and he gave his life for us, and he is our healer. So, of course, that brings us to the main character, as we close today, of our story. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's about him. This, is, this whole story is about him. The angels bow to him. The shepherds seek after him. The wise men, the magi, they travel from far away to worship him. Evil can't stop him. Herod, the evil king, can't stop him. And he writes you and I into his story if we are willing, as he did with Mary. And those words again ring out from the start of that story that nothing is impossible for him. He is the main story. So what happens this Christmas season for you and I? What happens if we just apply these lessons to our life? What happens if we simply as is represented in a nativity scene, that Jesus is at the center. What happens if we put him in the center? Not just a fringe thing, not just a, a musical where it's our story and we're the main character and Jesus is a side character where we say, oh, every once in a while we, we bring Jesus into our story. What if our lives got shifted where we said, Jesus, it is about you. This story is about you. Everything is about you. We want to live our lives focused on you. What would your life look like if you recognized that at the center of your life was God, was a king, was a way to have a relationship with God, was salvation? Also a God who is our healer and our provider and our source for everything. So this Christmas, I would like, in, the, in addition to everything we do as a church, as a family, as individuals, every song and all the lights and all the things that we're going to do, could we just remember this story is about him? And all the things that are represented by all these characters, what if we applied those to our lives? What if we simply said, Jesus, it's about you, and I open my life up to you. I recognize that nothing is impossible for you, and I want you to change my life. Amen? Let's pray together. We thank you, Jesus, for your life that you gave for us. We thank you that all the things that you are represented in this Christmas story, that you are the Son of God, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. You came to earth for us. That alone is amazing to think about. God dwelling with us so that you can relate. You know what we're going through, that you are a God who is close to us, that you seek us out. We thank you that you are a God who is a healer. We thank you that you are a God that brings love for all people. We see it over and over in Scripture. This is a story for all people, good news for all people. So I'm praying for those today, Lord, who feel far away from you. Would you shine your light into their hearts today? May this Christmas season be the first one where they recognize the real main character of the story is Jesus Christ. And may you shine your light into their hearts. I pray for every family here who is going through difficult times this Christmas season. Maybe this time of year is a hard time for them. There's hurt and pain that just kind of rises to the surface this time of year. I pray that you would bring your healing oil, your healing comfort to every hurt, to every life. We thank you and we praise you. We put you in the center of our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.